Welcome to the Artistic Foodies, the show that explores life through the lens of art and food. I'm Abbas Muhammad. And I'm Irfan Raidan. And today we're talking about The Domestic Crusaders, a play by Wajahat Ali. We will continue this conversation with our guests in our next episode as well. So be sure you catch them both on Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. This episode, we talked to the playwright Wajahat Ali, as well as a couple of actors from the play's New York premiere at the New Yorican Poets Cafe, namely Monisha Shiva, who played the daughter Fatima, and Abbas Zaidi, who played Dada Hakim. Wajahat Ali is a columnist at the Daily Beast, a former New York Times writer, and a former CNN political commentator. In this interview, we discuss his award-winning 2003 play, The Domestic Crusaders, which was the first major play about Muslim Americans in a post-9-11 world. We also got a chance to chat about his new memoir, Go Back to Where You Came From, and other helpful recommendations on how to become American. Uh, uh, I'm here. Is it okay if I drink chai? Yes, yes. I have my chai here, too. Okay, sweet. And I have a copy of your book. Your new, new nice. version, not Thank your you, latest, but your new version of Domestic Crusaders. You, you know what? Um, you know who doesn't have a copy? Me. So you have something that I don't have, which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> no, so like, in, inshallah, one day I'll get it. But anyway, the few people who've gotten it say it looks really nice. So that makes me happy. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's, uh, um, uh, it's bringing back some memories of, um, yeah, man. you know, I was there. At your uh, first showing at Mehran restaurant, you know when you did the reading, and uh, it was it was pretty funny, pretty funny stuff. It was a, uh, it was like the first time that, um, you know, every anybody kind of saw like a Pakistani family portrayal, and you know everybody could relate to it because you know we kind of grew up in that similar situation. Everybody who knows you knows kind of how you got into the writing, but for the people who don't know you, give us a, a brief summary of how you kind of got into writing. Oh, the brief summary. So, you know what the interesting thing is? Everyone expects the answer to be like, oh, I went and got an MFA and I took this class and, uh, you know, I, I, I had I took the I took the, the MasterCard MasterClass uh, and sat there and cranked it out. But the reality is, and, th- and this was kind of a gem of a, a, a wisdom that my director, Carla Blank, told me, you know, like, I yeah, I didn't take a playwriting class or I didn't get an MFA. I'm just like this English major. I really don't have that experience. And then she corrected me and she said, knowing something about me growing up in the Bay Area in Fremont, Fremontistan, Zindabad, she said, uh, actually, you've been doing this your whole life. You and your friend Kashif used to make homemade movies. And you told me that you did improv comedy. And then you told me you did sketch comedy where you wrote and directed and acted at UC Berkeley. And, you know, you were you were just doing this stuff for fun. And I was like, oh, yeah, the stuff that we did for fun growing up was actually the training ground for the rest of my career. It's just that mm. I didn't connect the two. And also being, I think you say Desi, right? I'm Pakistani. My family's originally from uh, Karachi, pre-partitioned Hyderabad. But I think for many of us growing up, and especially in the Bay, 
this will probably sound very familiar is when we were growing up in the 80s and 90s i'm old you know we just didn't have hassan minaj or riz emma or kumail nanjiani or mindy kaling or never say never on that we just didn't have that and our parents you know in a strange way to love us gave us this checklist of success and Ryder was never on that checklist it was a doctor engineer businessman and like after 9-11 maybe lawyer but corporate lawyer a, a lawyer who's not mm-hmm. a duffer who makes at least six figures so in the back of our head people who really indulged in arts and culture we loved it but we're like there's no path for us we couldn't imagine mm-hmm. it so you're like okay I'll, I'll i'll become a lawyer or an engineer and maybe i'll do this as a, like you couldn't it was always in the back of my mind that this is what i wanted to do but i was never able to really envision it clearly or say it with the type of confidence that young kids have now that I'll grow up to be a writer because it just seems right. so alien to me. But in the back of my head, it was always there, which probably explains why I was undeclared until my fourth year of college, because I probably kind of always knew. And I was also like just very curious uh, and trying out all these different subject matters. But, you know, we just didn't have the models. We just didn't have the models or the encouragement. And I will say that my parents, and I talk about this often, are very uh, traditional Pakistani parents, but also very untraditional. And in this regards, when I had written a story at the age of 10, uh, and Miss Peterson, my homeroom teacher from Kentucky, made us write a one-page short story, I wrote a 10-page short story, and she gave me an A++++ on that story, uh, an original story, and she made me recite it in front of the homeroom. And I was like this shy, really fat, mashallah, uh, tandrust, as they say, healthy, uh, husky pants wearing kid. Uh, and, you know, I recited this story and, and my class for the first time loved it, which was amazing to me because I was shy. I was fat. I was, you know, insecure. I used to sweat profusely uh, while talking. Still do. And I took that story home to uh, Ami Abu. Abu was reading the story, drinking chai like I am now. And he finished the story and he goes, Beta, you should think about becoming a writer. You have a talent. And I remember Ami ran out and said, but first become a doctor. But uh, they always encouraged me. That's the funny thing is they always encouraged this talent and said that uh, you have something and you should invest in it. So that's where I got really lucky that teachers and my parents and enough mentors along the way in a place like Fremont where there's very little encouragement, uh, at least when I was growing up, I was able to nurture this, some would say talent or some would say probably uh, skill into something that became a career. I mean, what was the setting in which you wrote uh, and came out with this piece of work? And, and why did you come out with it at that time? So I started writing the play Domestic Crusaders as a 21-year-old senior at UC Berkeley. I had just turned 21. 9-11 mm-hmm. happened two months ago. My professor for a short story writing class that I happened to just enroll in and get in, Ishmael Reed, who's a MacArthur genius, you know, a titan of American literature, an African-American man. Uh, you know, he he. we had to write short stories. Like It was like one of those really terrifying, intimidating environments where it was like 12 of us in a room and like every couple of weeks you'd write a story and like read it in front of your peers mm-hmm. and they would just tear it apart. And so... happened and I was an MSA board member and I always joked with folks that like some dark humor is necessary that if Muslims knew that 9-11 would happen I would have joined the Indian Student Association not the Muslim Student Association right (laughs) like I would have dated cute girls and gone like learn how to do Bhangra and like get tech support and join the Indus like annual uh, you know awesome talent show but you know honestly 
Yeah, I went to UC Berkeley and for the first time I was like, oh, Muslims are like on, I'm not the token Muslim. There's a hijabi and they're, they're like, it was wild to me. It was amazing because I was always often like the token Muslim and token brown guy. By token, I mean like the only dude who used to represent in call in high school and elementary school. So I was so excited mm. to see like Muslims on campus. So, and the Muslim Student Association and the Indian Student Association, like orientation meeting was at the exact same time literally across from each other and it's like a sliding to make a choice and and i know the muslims at that time did it on purpose they're like join us don't join the evil side (laughs) they do you know because this was a wild time like the the late 90s was like the hotbed of salafism yeah creeping in of traditionalism and then hypocrisy and confusion uh, all around and so people are like don't go to the indus they do the dating and the dancing come to us well, come to us where we do none of that but on the dl and we're all freaks i'm like oh okay. <laughs> so i'd make the sliding door moment and instead of going left to the indus which is also pretty amazing to see all these south asian and brown folks right so i went to msa so Long story short, somehow I, I become the MSA board member, the, one of the five. I didn't have a real title, but I guess you'd call me vice president. And 9-11 happens. And uh, you guys remember this. We're that generation where this Amer- America lost its mind. And overnight, even though we were in the Bay Area, the ripple effects of 9-11 reverberated globally. And so mm-hmm. the day that it happened, we were watching the two towers fall. I was in my pajamas. We started getting these phone calls from hijabi girls. You know, girls, I'm saying at that age, meaning around my age, teenagers, afraid to go out. We had to do escort service. We got hate mail. I, I mean, we were in California, right? But overnight, the enemy became Muslims. It became a civilizational war between something called Islam and the West. You guys remember this, right? The country went crazy. Yes. And so yes, for yes. two months, you know, I kind of became an accidental activist. I always joke. And we all became like these cultural ambassadors of Islam. And we had to be perfect. And the media came. And you had to organize. And oh, by the way, I was also a senior at UC Berkeley trying to figure out my major and had to go to school. So in this <laughs> environment, I remember that, oh, crap, I got to write a story and present it. And so in the more, like Fudger time, I wrote this insane story about these two ogres celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary who hate each other and they poison each other's goblet and try to kill each other during the dinner toast. And I wrote this. I don't know what happened. I was like, fudge time. I got inspired to write the story. I write the story. I go to class. I read it. I think Ishmael Reed, my teacher, is going to yell at me. But instead, he says, see me after class. I'm like, oh, man, he's going to rip me apart. I haven't been to school like three weeks. And he goes... I think dialogue and, and the characters are your strength. You write really good short stories, but you ever tried writing a play? I'm like, what, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, right. You know, you know, this country is going to haze Muslims for the next few years. Next 10 years is going to be really tough for you. Take it from me. I'm a black man. They've been hazing mm-hmm. us for 400 years. Uh, it's, it's asymmetrical. You don't have the power, but we've always fought back. And the way we fought back is through art and culture and storytelling. And so I'm really curious to read an American kitchen drama, but I've never really read it from the perspective of your folks. Like you're what Pakistani Muslim, you know, I, you know, you ever read death of a salesman or long's day's journey in the night or raising the sun. I'm like, yes. He goes, yeah, write me something like that. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> like, I, I, well, this is your short story class. He goes, no, no, no. I think you'll be fine. Okay. Listen, write me 20 pages of a play about a, what are you again? I said, fat, scared. What? And he goes, no, a Pakistani Muslim American family and give me 20 pages or you'll fail the class. All right. Bye. Wow, ultimatum. And and he's like, okay, and yeah, don't waste your time in the class. You don't have to come to class anymore if you don't want to. All right, I'll see you in two months. So I started it for my 21st birthday. And I remember, uh, here's a deep cut. There used to be a Borders 
in in Fremont, California, off of Maori and Fremont Boulevard, uh, right across from a Barnes and Nobles. And I don't think either the Barnes and Borders are there anymore. This is a deep cut for Fremontonians. <laughs> and uh, I used to, uh, being a Pakistani kid with ED money at that time. I think they stopped giving me ED at twenty one. <laughs> I saw the return policy at Borders, and it was like you can return anything in eleven days. So I went to the drama section, picked up two plays, read it, returned it. By the tenth day, did it like three times. I ended up reading like six or eight. Such a daisy thing. Super daisy thing. It was amazing. But I felt like so. I'm like, all right. I read seven, eight plays, and then the first thing I did is I sat and I wrote down six character sketches. I'm an only child, and the play is about six family members uh, in a Pakistani Muslim American family: uh, Dada, the grandfather who survived partition, Amiabu, immigrant parents, and three American kids. I'm an only child, so I made a test for myself that I wouldn't make it autobiographical just as a test and I flushed it out I I wrote 20 pages I, I passed the class and then every couple of months my uh, professor would keep bothering me for five more pages the story of domestic crusaders and, and Ishmael mm-hmm. Reed kept bothering me for five more pages and so I had written like 25 pages I took like a year off and I remember just something inside me inspired me to say, like, everything is gone. I have nothing left. No one can take this story away from me. I'll at the very least finish this play. And that's the one thing I'll have in life. And before my mm. 23rd birthday, I made a vow to finish it. So when I sat down to write the rest of this, the play, even though I wrote it like in two weeks, which is like a fever, like dream, like uh, release, it took me like two years. Does that make sense? And with that mm. type of history, and experiences, I was able to then finish off the arc of the play. And then when the play was finished, I had just turned 23. Uh, and then Ishmael said, my wife, Carla Blank, who's a teacher and dancer, she'll she'll help direct it. And so we did this staged reading at Meran. Everyone knows Meran in the Bay Area. And, mm-hmm. and it was DIY. Everything was pure DIY. Irfan remembers this. We did our first like auditions at you know the library. People laughed at us, but then word spread. They're like, oh, the script doesn't suck. And so when we did these auditions at Mehran and Chandni, Mehran and Chandni are like, we'll give you space to do the auditions as long as you can like buy seven or eight buffets a, a weekend. <laughs> and, and like we used to get enough people that they used to come and buy the buffets. And by that, by like after a month of auditioning local talent, even I swear to God, the Chandni workers auditioned for the role of the <laughs> father and the mother. And so, you know, I did everything myself. We did the press release. We made our own music. Uh, and then we I went to Meran. The final story I'll tell you, because it's, it's hilarious, is you know, I'm like, okay, uh, Fayaz. I think Fayaz still owns Meran. I'm yeah, like, my yeah. father told me to talk to you. And he said, to give you the space give me the space and I'll transform it into a dinner theater experience no one's done this before people have shadis mm. and weddings here and milads and religious functions I'll make a stage reading with lights and an elevated stage and we'll get people and I'll make something new for you and there'll be press you know I was like a salesman and I'm like <laughs> and I'm like, uh, give it, give me a buffet because I know my people, they won't come without a buffet for a good price. And, and Fayaz is like, I'll give you everything in a buffet for $10. So I went home and my father's like, $10? No. And then he drove me back to Mirage. My father says, I'm here to see Fayaz. My father rolls up a seagull and I swear to God, he goes, Fayaz, how long have I done business with you? My son, I sent him to you to give him a good deal. And you give him a $10 price? How dare you? You will give him the space, a five-course buffet, chai, and dessert for $6 a head. 
And that's how we got, we got it for six dollars a head. And I remember wow. I sent the price for fifteen bucks. And I talked to Mujahid Chacha, my 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 Chacha, and I'm like, yo, if I give you my play and a dope buffet for bu- fifteen bucks, will you come in my own blood? Mujahid says, if you make it ten dollars, I'll think about it. And so, <laughs> and so, if Juan remembers this, is I kept it for ten dollars. It's a two act play. I kept the buffet in intermission to make sure people saw the first act. And the, the the capacity was like 200 people. We sold 350 tickets. And everyone at first came as a tamasha. Tamasha means like a spectacle. Because they were yeah. like, you know, Irfan was saying, is like, they're like, what is this? No one's done this before. Who's this? Look at, let's look at this son of criminals. Uh, uh, is, no, I'm serious. Like, like, and maybe the criminal parents will be there and look at this stupid play. So it was like a, most people came for a tamasha. And also because I cast a lot of local talent, people came mm. to support the local talent as well. The test was, would they leave during the intermission? Because, look, first act is done. I've given you Kana. After Kana, you can leave. They all stayed. Yeah. And then we got a standing ovation. And that's when I knew we had. Wow. Something. So you asked me a simple question. Wow. I gave you a, a story. <laughs> wow, that's great. That's great. Yeah, that's some... Very interesting stuff. I didn't I didn't know a lot of that thing, so thanks for sharing that. I'm really proud of the fact that we stuck stuck to our guns. We kept all the merchant masala. We didn't whitewash it. And and uh you know what we did was I realized very early that if I had gone through the traditional mainstream channels, I would still be waiting to publish the play or produce the play mm-hmm. in twenty twenty one. So what we did was independent grassroots. We did it ourselves. And our parents came and like did, you know, built the mosque themselves. I guess this was like, we'll just do it ourselves. And you guys know from the Bay Area and Hassan says this, Hassan Minaj, uh, he tells me this. He goes like, bro, you're like a flower that bloomed from concrete, bro. And what? (laughs) And I think what he took that from Tupac. Yeah. And and he. yeah, and he's like, because I remember I met, uh, this, this is how the the way the world works. Hassan met me when I was a grad student and he was an undergrad and he was a young kid. And he goes, oh, you're the guy who wrote the play. You did it. And so that's how long me and Hassan have known each other. But what he was saying was our environment, our community is not conducive towards nurturing this talent. So yeah. Not just the mainstream as corporate mainstream uh, uh, entertainment has marginalized and sidelined us. Also our own community. Because they didn't see any models of success. And they're like, Beta ye bakwasa, this is useless. And Uncle said, yeah. Beta, why don't you do something useful like protest? And so <laughs> uh, and so my 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 desire was twofold was to excite and and sell our story to my own community and make them believe that it's worthwhile. And there was so much doubt. Even after the Mehran where we uh, premiere, where we got staying ovation, I, I, every single premiere in, in San Jose, in Berkeley, in Mehran, there was always some auntie and uncle who came up to me afterwards, even after the standing ovation, and said a variation of the following. Beta, that was great. But what will the people think? And I'm like, mm. I'm like, the people like it. He goes, nay, nay. The people, the people. And so <laughs> the once, people. <laughs> once I got the validation of like, and so look, strategically, I, I hate saying this, but colonialism is a hell of a drug. Whiteness is a hell of a drug. Once you got Gora's white people to sign off on it, that's that's when our people came yeah. on. Like Dave Eggers. Oh, he likes Emma Thompson likes it. Tika Tika, the people like it. Oh, it's in the San Jose, mm. San Jose Merc, SF Chronicle. So this play that was crapped upon, that was given no chance, that people said no one would care about, McSweeney's published in 2010. And then last year, McSweeney's on its own came to me and said, 
can we do a 10 year anniversary of this play? Because in the moment that we're in, in this country where we're having a conversation about, you know, everything, this play is still topical. So do you mind if we publish this play again? I'm like, you know what? Why don't you wait six months instead of like April? Why don't you coincide it with the 20th anniversary of 9-11? And they're like, oh, that's great. And so lo and behold, this play, the new version with the new cover, with the new introduction by Hassan Minaj, of all people, look how things come full circle. A new, a new <laughs> conversation between me, Ishmael Reed, and Carla Blank, the director, and with a few edits where I did like a Ridley Scott, Scott Blade Runner edit, like I just trimmed like four minutes. Uh, that's about it. You probably won't notice it, but there's just some lines wow. that bothered me. But other than that, the play is still <laughs> topical. I didn't like change anything from the 2010 mm. version. And so mainly it is very, very just gratifying to look back now as a 41-year-old old man uh, and see that a play <laughs> that he started writing at the age of 21 that everyone told him would not appeal to the mainstream now has two publications and has validated and has been performed in England and Canada and people have gotten their thesis done on it and people are teaching it and and people have gone acting roles off of it. People have gone into drama school off it because they used no, some of the monologues, right? All these messages I've gone over the years. People have decided to leave their corporate job to become writers because they saw my journey, you know? So that's where I measure the the wealth and the success. That's how it, mm, it feels very gratifying. What was the political climate when this first came out? Like, what do you remember from your felt experience of that day and age? Um, when you first interacted with it and then when you um, when you acted in it as well. I see. So, yeah, it had been like eight years since 9-11 and Islamophobia was completely it was big. <laughs> it was prevalent. Yeah. Right. And, and just brown people altogether. Um, you know, you saw it in your day to day. You felt it in your day, daily interactions with people. Um, you felt it when you traveled outside of the U.S. and how you were interrogated or, you know, um, or I, I know I was travel. I traveled to London one time and I was told to step aside while everyone else was going through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you saw it in the political climates in other countries like India becoming more fundamentalist, I, you know, and mm. I, uh, you saw it in the news where, you know, like war, the war on when we had the branding of war on terrorism, mm-hmm. you know, Trademark. as like, yeah, <laughs> as as like the U.S. kills. Sorry, I don't know how political I can be on this. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, as, as as the U.S. had killed innocent lives in Afghanistan, right. you know, and we're just getting out of this longest war in history. Um, we also came out of a shameful quest of looking for weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, which there was none, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So that was 2009. We came out of that. um, And we called, you know, the killing of innocent lives as collateral damage in the name of war on terrorism. So, um, yeah, uh, it was, you know, and of course there was just poor, poorly portrayal of Muslims and brown folks in media. It was bad before, and it just got worse. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know? it definitely got worse. Your stereotypical role for a brown guy either being like you're this like nerdy scientist tech guy, or the other ninety percent, which is you're a terrorist, you're a bomb maker, you're whatever. Right, right. And then, mm. and then in two thousand nine, Obama had just been elected, so there was a glimmer of hope and change, mm-hmm. you know. 
Um, so that's when the domestic crusader was being staged. That was the backdrop. And it was exciting because I think they were, we were all like a little, a bit tired (laughs) of, 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 you know, of, of the war on terrorism, of, of the, uh, the stereotypes of, um, brown folks and Islam and Islamophobia all around that, you know, uh, you know, hoping for storytelling to change, you know, mm-hmm. to, to bring some harmony, you know, um, yeah. and stage this play. And that's what this play did, brought in a lot of harmony. I mean, there was just so many people from different walks of life coming to to see it. It was just amazing. The, the house was always packed. And, and it was, I've never seen such a diverse audience like we talk about diverse cast but this was Mm -hmm. diverse audience you know it was like it was just amazing I mean you just felt the energy and that was the energy we used for our acting you know and Mm. staging it you know just to reciprocate you know obviously the play is specifically about a Pakistani Muslim family but obviously we all know that the way that it was written um Everybody can relate to it, and not even you know doesn't you don't even have to be a Desi person or you don't even have to be a Muslim person, but it has it's like a typical American family. So tell us a little bit about your background. You know, uh, I know you're from New York. Where did your parents come from, and how did you use your cultural background uh, to play the part that you did? It's a great question. Um, yeah, I was born, raised in New York. Um, my family's from India. Um, my mom is from a city called Rudki, which is at the foot of the Himalayas in north northern India. My dad was also from um, the north part, uh, a city called Allahabad. And in this area, there's a lot of Muslims and Hindus living side mm-hmm. by side. Yeah. My dad was more Buddhist. M- my mom was a little bit Hindu, but they weren't super religious, you know, but they were just very, very spiritual, agnostic. Um, and yeah, and I, and my dad was definitely political. So I, yeah. I get that side of my dad. Um, he used to really address the caste system um, and, and talk about the life of, of Dalits in India. Mm-hmm. So, and he was a poet. So he brought poetry and activism together. Oh, so wow. I grew up with that. Nice. And, and and also and when we moved to New York, um, the our neighbor, our next door neighbor, were from they were from Pakistan. So my mom, uh, that was, those were our best friends. So you know it was really like a lot of my learning about Islam and uh, Muslim culture and Pakistani culture comes from that family. <laughs> and so I mean we're still friends. The family they're like sometimes family friends when you're an immigrant is closer than the family that yeah. you're related back yeah. in the home country, right? So, yeah. So, like, we were just super close. I learned so much about Kashmir because the mother was from Kashmir, um, but lived in Pakistan, and, and yeah. So, uh-huh. um, yeah. Very and interesting. Then, mm-hmm. And a lot of my art and looking at art, and it was just coming, growing up in New York and meeting so many different types of people. Like, oh, my God, it was just so... You know, New York is so diverse. Like that's mm-hmm. your education. Mm-hmm. A little bit about the character that you played, and then how was that experience playing uh, that character? 
Yeah. Um, it was, so I played Fatima and she's the, the middle daughter. Um, she's a passionate law student who's very firm in her political ideas, very eloquent in her political ideas, her opinions. Um, that's what makes her, her, um, and she, you know, she's like she she has a boyfriend that her parents don't approve of, um, who's Muslim but black, and um, and uh, and her mother has like other ideas of what Fatima should be doing with her time instead of going to protests uh, or marching for Palestinians. She should be learning to cook <laughs> and and going to you know the masjid and should should be going to um, you know find an acceptable life partner. <laughs> so, uh, and so there was that struggle between her and her mother. Um, and she was her father's favorite as well. So, um, yeah, she was definitely, you know, a, a wonderful character to play. And I, I, I somehow related to her too. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, um, did you and, have parts of, I mean, I don't want to get too personal in your life, but did you have any kind of personal experiences from uh, your own family or your own close friends that you kind of used for this, for the character? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I also have a lot of opinions and my family, <laughs> family knows that. Um, and I, I, you know, I think that Fatima took a lot of risks in her at her as a you know her her being a woman and uh and just pushing the limits from what her mom has been trying to put on her um which i feel i relate to like um she definitely was um a risk taker you know and, um so uh, yeah definitely I, I and the passion she was she's a passionate character and i felt like i related to that so, you know, something that's pretty amazing, the restaurant at which the table reading was done back in, was it 2003, almost 20 years ago, two decades, that restaurant is still around. Not only is it still around, they're still thriving. And um, and I want to give them a special shout out, not only because they're a great restaurant, but they've been a staple in the Barry community for a very long time. And they supported Wajahat in this endeavor, uh, not even realizing how big it would become. They believed in him and they believed in his vision and they supplied the buffet, which allowed for the table reading to be so well populated. And subsequently, well, the rest is history. Mehran Restaurant and Catering has been serving Indian and Pakistani cuisine to the Bay Area community since 1986. Located in Newark, now also serving halal Chinese food, along with popular desi menu items, including nahari, goat biryani, beef paya, and special kebab items, such as reshmi kebab or chicken malai boti kebab. Mm-mm. Please check Mehran out on Facebook and on Google Businesses and contact Mehran for all your catering needs. You can reach the restaurant at 510-668-1111 or feel free to call Fiaz directly at 925-765-4290. 
diving right into it, what was the political climate when this first came out, when you chose to uh, act in this role? What was sort of, you know, take us take us to this time and place. What was wow, going on? Thank when you. Was yeah, it's a great question. My goodness, talk about uh, a con- immediate reframing. It was April, <laughs> April of 2009, and I had come to New York uh, for a six-week engagement at a company I had worked at in the past. I didn't have a green card then, so I was fighting for legal, you know, like every time I had an H-1B, I had to get jobs while the H-1B lasted. My Israeli friends were getting H-1s for two years, and I would get it for a year, which meant nine months, because, you know. So uh, I couldn't find anything in the Bay Area. Uh, this company I had worked on in New York, they said uh, in the past, they said, hey, please come. We need you. So I was there. And I was literally on the last day of my engagement when Saqib calls and says, hey, AZ, um, the, you know, these uh, Vajahat, the playwright, is calling me and he wants me to come out to the East Coast to do this play. But you can do it, man. I mean, because Saqib and I had chatted in the past. We're friends. And uh, he knew that I had been a thespian since before. First role being in, I think I was in class four when I played Careful Hans. And uh, and he said, you can do it. And I was like, you know, but I'm missing my kids. I hadn't seen my kids in six weeks. And I was, I'd gone through a divorce and, you know, the, my kid's stepdad wasn't letting me talk to my kids. So I was dealing with the pain of separation from my kids. And then I was told that, you know, this is something really important. Sake basically laid it out. He said, this is a period of history. It's very essential. And especially with uh, 9-11 coming up. There's going to be a very significant, I mean, he basically laid it in my lap. He said, this is going to be big. It's huge. And Mm -hmm. uh, more than anything else, think of it as a social responsibility that someone's got to do it. And if you don't do it, I'm coming out there. I have a job. I'm going to leave and I'm going to come out there and spend the months that it's going to be very tough for me. But that's how important it is. So tell me you can help me. He basically asked, called on a favor from a buddy. And (laughs) so on that, uh, I set up a meeting with Vajahat. I went that weekend and uh, I auditioned. And uh, the first time I was reading it... I was in tears. I was like, I was reading part of the monologue, which Dada Hakim eventually does 11 minutes of. I was in tears. I hadn't read it before. I, I did, mm. There was no time. So I'm here, I'm sitting here reading. So I read it through once and I had to stop. And then they had me do it again. And uh, the second time I did it, I was, uh, so Vajahad actually gave me a hint that really helped me later on. He said, you don't have to, you know, you, you, the, a good actor, the mark of a good actor is that you don't wear your pain on your face for people to see. You hold it just behind your face. Like he literally said, I was wearing a shirt. He said, mm. just keep it right under your sleeve. You're, it's right here. It's accessible if you need it. But, you know, think of something. Think of something that is very painful for you. I said, well, my separation from my kids. He says, that's it. Use that. From that moment on, he gave me a grab. And, and my grab was my separation from my kids. And using that, I was able to think wow. of my kids while reading this extremely emotional, extremely uh, heart-wrenching, it's a gut-wrenching read. And while reading it, I was able to think of something else that was giving me tremendous pain. And I was able to, you know, a lot of actors have a very hard time finding a uh, a grab that they can use because I had this kind of guidance from Bajahat. A, a few times he did that. Uh, hopefully we'll have a, a chance to talk about a few more examples, but that right there became a very significant, and that's why from the beginning, I think Carla, she said from there, she knew that I would be the primary. There's a primary and a secondary in major productions. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it was uh, just because I felt it so strongly. So, uh, yeah. Wow. 
It was a tremendous experience of personal growth. I had the kind of a team that uh, few people are lucky to get. Um, you know, we had a dramaturge of Carla Blank's experience. We had Ishmael Reed guiding and, and you know, like he had helped develop this play. But once we got to the, the yeah. practices, you know, we had, I mean, it, it was incredible. It, it was so great that... Afterward, I went to Pakistan. I spent two years. My mom was at the end of her life. And when I came back, I had a chance to be part of a local Bay Area drama company here called Natak. And I got into a play. Yeah, I played yeah. the, the Qaide Azam role in Toba Tek Singh play yeah. adaptation. And I did that because I had that experience with domestic crusaders. And I realized that if I want to get into wow. a high-level mode of, of delivery for myself and for my life, it'll be good to be part of a team that's delivering at that level. And uh, Natak was definitely at that level. And uh, I had that experience again. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, it was a powerful just, you know, on-ramping experience where everybody's giving their all and working at a very incredible rate. The kind of a team that people are mm -hmm. lucky to have once in their lives. It was incredible. And uh, where were you born in your education? Your... My father was in the Pakistan Air Force as Not a fighter sure. pilot. And uh, yeah, so I grew up all over the world. Uh, 12, uh, what, what was it? Uh, it's eight countries in in eight countries and four continents and more than 20 homes by the time I was 20. Uh, and it's just the way, you know, military life goes. So mostly in Pakistan Air Force schools, but, you know, spent a year in the States, spent uh, two years in Libya, two years in Syria, you know, Italy, England, uh, Bangladesh. Uh, yeah. Wow. So Iran. Yeah. So I grew up all over the world, oh, a global wow. nomad, which really, really helps you have a bigger outlook and, uh, for Pakistanis, mm. that point of your brain opening and you realizing that, oh, Indians aren't our enemies. They're actually normal human beings. <laughs> and having, uh, you know, dear friendships with people from, like having an Israeli best friend, you know, that most Pakistanis would mm. not find possible. But uh, a time comes, yeah. just like in this training, a time comes when you go through different experiences, something opens inside you and you see things from other perspectives. Yeah, so... Um Tell us a little bit about um, that role of the grandfather. I know, like for me personally, when I watched it at Mehran and I also watched the Berkeley one, um, that was one of the favorite characters because just, you know, his interesting life story and and things like that. So tell us what you, what you thought about that role and how did it affect you? Thank you. Um you know, people don't think of think much of the Dada. Uh, you know, Bojahat as a playwright pulls a sort of, uh, I guess we could call it, he pulls an M. Night Shyamalan uh, toward the end of the play, right? Um, because Dada Hakim was this cute, funny guy who's saying these, you know, occasional quips and making these funny comments at people. He's literally comic mm -hmm. relief throughout the play. And then at the end, he opens up and comes out with this, you know, bombshell of a you know of a story that hey your family has this history and you had no idea so i don't think we should spoil the play for people it's a great play to watch read you know mm -hmm. um, explore just getting into the play was getting in touch with something that was a significant point of point of pain for me but that point of pain mm. enabled me to 
deliver my role as Dada Hakim uh, and the most significant part of that play, the monologue he has at the end. In front of my eyes, all our eyes, they told him to come out, said they only wanted to talk. As soon as he came out, they took a knife and thrust it in his chest. I couldn't move. I did nothing. Nobody did anything. I had never seen a man die before. And my friend Amir, he was stupid and used to chase after girls and shoot off his pagal mouth. But not deserving to die. Not deserving to die. And they killed him. And I did nothing. I was so afraid, I couldn't move. There is something to be gained by experience. The original Dune in mm. 84, the father says to the son that, you know, experience changes some change. Sorry, it's not just experience. Change causes something deep inside to awaken. And here I am playing a role where, you know, yeah, I can, I, I'm saying these things that Dada Hakim says. You can only use your, 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 like the word I used, uh, you know, your, my go-to, right? My uh, the tool that I I had, which is that I could think of the pain of my kids to to hold that to hold my tears back and to stay at the threshold of being able to deliver these lines and yet uh, and yet mm. be composed. But it affects you. You know, it it's 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 difficult. Um, I wasn't a formal professional actor. Uh, I had acted in the past, but the previous role, uh, the role of Careful Hans, was very happy-go-lucky. This kid is just, you know, he's, everything he does, he applies. He, well, whatever, he does something wrong, and then the instructions he gets, he applies those instructions on the next thing he's doing, which makes it wrong. It's a really funny play, but it's very situational in that sense. Here, yeah, here yeah. Dada had to hold... Uh, Dada essentially had to bring home all the work that everybody had done throughout the play by using the, it's not so much a conflict, but using an exchange that happens to trigger and to make that trigger believable. I found, uh, you know, I, I, I believe I'm still learning. Like in talking to you guys right now, I'm, I'm still learning from that experience. I don't think something as significant mm. as that ends giving you the lessons that it's meant to give you. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it was a it was a mm. deep look inside. It was like tearing yourself apart and looking and looking at what you're made of. It was a great experience. So, uh, so if you can just connect some of the dots here, like what was what was happening politically? Uh, what was your experience as a Muslim in the politics um, when the Domestic Crusaders first came out, and then when you acted in it? And how about now, looking back? Uh, I'm glad you you raised this because we had completely. Uh, missed that earlier well when the play came out is a completely different conversation than uh, up till that point so let me start first with uh, when the play came out there was an awareness you know the play is written so brilliantly like it's interesting that we're saying we are the crusaders but who did the crusades right it was the crusades were done against mm. muslims and the muslims were the people who were the most hurt by them. Uh, and they were essentially, whatever the historical context may have been, um, 
here we are the domestic crusaders. Here we are a family trying to show to the world that, hey, we're one of you. You're, you're, you're us, we're you. We're one of your family. And that's the biggest feedback that Wajahat got as a playwright, that people would come up, old Jewish people, you know, old grandmas would come up and say, that was my family. It's not a Muslim family mm. or a Pakistani-American family when you're watching the play. They may be wearing the skin of a Pakistani American or a Muslim, but it's a normal American family. And the crusade was to show people that there is this conflict going on, which has tremendous historical you know, undertones. But in today's world right now, it affects us right now and it's affecting us. You know, So, so that in my own life showed up as I was in a marriage to a Turkish Arab who uh, you know, for different reasons, uh, realized, and some of the reasons you mentioned earlier, she was a Sunni Muslim, I was a Shiite Muslim, um, and I had my personal awakening in faith and in a lot of uh, spiritual aspects of my life. I had near-death experiences. Uh, I had my awakening happen after uh, we got married, you know, levels of my awakening, like Rumi says, peel off the layers of the onion. So I had layers of the onion peeling in the process of you know building a life with my partner and uh, as these layers peeled it turned out that the direction that i was going into which was inward was not the direction that my partner had wanted me to be in so i was very in a in a at a very early time i lost the support of my partner and my immigration process was made uh, uh, was made <laughs> it it's it was affected i'll just say that and uh, I didn't get my, you know, so right. so I, I was dealing with, I had a 10 plus year uh, process of suing the U.S. government and, and getting a green card, you know, so I had to go through, in fact, now I can talk about it. Joe Biden had a, a, a law that he started, which was so significant called Violence Against Women's Act. It was a spousal abuse clause in the U.S. Immigration Code. I was one of only two men known to my attorney who got their U.S. immigration because of suing the U.S. government, utilizing the Violence Against Women's Act, which is no longer. It's gone away because the Republicans, wow. whatever. It's the, it's the reality of our time that it's party politics and party politics caused such a useful and essential law to expire. So so I, I had dealt with that. I, was, I mentioned earlier, I was dealing with H-1 renewals. You know, just, it was crazy. It was very difficult. So I was dealing with a very uh, real effect of 9-11 in my life, being a young Pakistani Muslim, you know, being a young Muslim male of Pakistani origin, where, you know, when I, I even had an interview with the immigration service, and I learned later on by my now my later attorney, that they should have given you a provisional green card then, because they said, we can't give you a green mm -hmm. card because your security clearance hasn't come through. Well, with every other nationality, they give you the green card on a provisional basis so that if your security clearance comes through, clearance comes through, it's retroactive. In my case, being a young Pakistani, I didn't get one, and I had to deal with this more than a decade later. So, yeah, I, I was dealing wow. with it at a, in a very real way in my personal life, but I was, you know, dealing with it. Coming to the play, mm. the awareness that we're dealing with 9-11 and this play is premiering on this date, that is the reason why I understood the depth and the, excuse me, it's the weight of what Saqib Rasul, uh, excuse me, why am I saying, Saqib Masuf <laughs> say to me, uh, uh, Saqib Rasul is my coach, Saqib Masuf. <laughs> 
uh, was the you know he conveyed to me the importance of it, why the timing matters. He didn't talk about how you know mm-hmm. it, there is wordplay going on, there is uh, a twist in the play in the the presentation of the play, the name of the play, at the end of the play. He didn't talk about the ingenuity with which the play was written. Um, but yeah, coming to the play, I was made aware of how significant it was. And as we went through the trainings, as we went through, Carla led us, for instance, the family went on a road trip, you know, as a as a team, as a, as a play acting family, we are sitting in a enclosed mm. space in a van and we're going on a road trip and everybody's holding character. It's the method acting approach. It was amazing getting mm. to know these people as the family that we were playing under the backdrop wow. of what we are preparing for. So it was lost on no one, the importance of what, and you know, and the play happened again and again. We did it in Washington, D.C. We did it at the Kennedy Center. Um so it happened oh, wow. a number of times. We did it in Berkeley also. Um, yeah, I think the significance of it was not lost then. And I, I think I believe this interview happening is proof that the significant is not, not lost even now. Yeah, I think it was a very significant play of our time. What pushed you to the stage um, where, you know, most people find themselves very, very uncomfortable. And in fact, what was it? Public speaking is ranked the number one fear, higher than death even. You know, what What kept you coming back to the stage? And, you know, what are some experiences that you had as an actor for Domestic Crusaders that you still remember, Stark? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. Um, to be honest, I was terrified of the stage as well. And I was terrified of public speaking as well. Um, in sixth grade, I once had a, uh, an assignment to write. You know, we were in military schools, so we had a topic and you had to speak either for it or against it. And uh, the topic was mm-hmm. preparation for war is necessary for peace. And I chose to speak for it. So I wrote a pretty nice wow. speech, but I, I had a hard time delivering it. <laughs> so so uh, that and a few other times I found that I've written something really powerful. But when it comes time to delivery, I wish I had practiced more. So that's one thing I brought to this play. And, uh, you know, Dada Hakim has an 11-minute monologue at the end, and he has to deliver it without any, like, there's no book or you, you can't have notes. So memorizing that and and using, you know, cues inside and emotional mm-hmm. cues among them. Um, one thing that uh, you had said uh, about acting, uh, you know, we're all actors. We're always, all of us, with our spouses, with our friends, with our, you know, you're standing in line. We're all acting. We all have different characters we play. So we may not realize it, mm-hmm. but, uh, um, you know, that's that's one thing. In the context of that, I want to say that in today's world, like in the past, we had plays. And then in our more recent past, we've had movies. It is, and, and you know, of course, the same in books. I had this experience when reading Siddhartha by Herman Hesse for the third time, where the first time I read the book, about halfway through, I I found that I wasn't able to hold interest. But I was told this is a significant book and that it would be significant for me. And the person who told me I respected, so I finished the book. But I felt I didn't get much out of it. So I read the book through again. And I was reading the book through another year or two later, and I felt that there is something here. But I don't know if I'm getting what's meant for me here. So in 96, I read this book for the third time. And of course, I'm dating myself. I'm in my mid-20s. But in reading this book, from the very beginning, third time I'm reading this book, it became my story. I am completely experiencing what I'm reading. 
I, I become the protagonist. Mm-hmm. I, it's my story that I'm reading from beginning to end. And the, it happened to me after that, uh, that I read this short story called The Indian Life, which is 17 pages. The Indian Life is 17 pages if you print it out in a PDF. So on a normal eight and a half by 11 size sheet. I read it at the end of, I was given a, because I loved the, you know, Siddhartha, and I experienced this experience. I was looking for more things by Herman Hess. I was given this huge book called uh, uh, Master of the Game in German, Magister Ludi, but in English it's called The Glass Bead Game. So it was too thick. I tried reading it. It was just, I, I kept thinking of how they're describing Qom, you know, like a, a, <laughs> a, a seminary, a theological location. Maybe it's like this at the, at the Vatican. That's what they were describing, essentially. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't read that book. But toward the end, I saw there were three short stories. And the Indian life in that paperback book was 50 pages, 51. And the Indian life was another experience. I read this book and I become this character. And it's funny that I first experienced that in Herman Hesse's works. So in reading a character and becoming that character becomes a journey. And we may not realize it, but we talked about Star Wars earlier. Star Wars has the same effect. You know, mm-hmm. I was Luke Skywalker when I saw that movie. And this is, we're talking late 80s, uh, late 70s. Um, I had come across, and the reason I mentioned this, I had come across an amazing movie by Patrick uh, Stewart, the guy who plays uh, Doc, uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Patrick Stewart. Uh, mm-hmm. It was called Dune. Now Dune is big because there's a new version of it, but that 1984 version of Dune, in that story, a few things were said which impacted me greatly. And it was like being in Herman Hesse's Siddhartha or in being, you know, Gautama in the India life, where I'm reading this, this story, but what I'm going through, what I'm experiencing is a personal journey. So, Acting, to me, is attractive because of the personal journey it represents. And I noticed that because of these careful haunts playing that, I was a fourth grader. That was just you know a fun thing I did. I found that uh, I, in mm-hmm. doing skits in college, I would literally be the funniest guy. And I was super awesome in skits. And I'd come up with amazing ideas. And we'd have so much fun making mm-hmm. the skit that even on stage, we'd be doing the skit and we'd be laughing at our own jokes. <laughs> and I found that that comes naturally to me. You know, letting go of the shell of mm-hmm. AZ and Zahira Bas and being the character that AZ is playing is liberating because you get to be whatever you invent or whatever is defined in that role. So from that perspective, public speaking became easier for me. I started doing a master of ceremonies mm-hmm. work and I became really good at it. And I realized a master of ceremony is an actor. Like, you know, you're yes. you're taking the content. And in this case, the content is people's energy. You literally are yeah, taking exactly. You're just playing exactly. with your you're energy. You're the amplifier or, or modulator, and you're giving that right back to them. And this is another thing you might find interesting because yeah. you, I know, are a big master of ceremonies for the Halal Fest and stuff. Every time before I'd go on stage, mm-hmm. I'd have an experience just before, like in panic mode. I have to go to the bathroom. And the contents <laughs> the contents <laughs> of my stomach would jump out of me. Like they literally, I'd, I'd clear my stomach. Oh, you know? wow. So, I mean, I'll say it. It was a number 10. <laughs> <laughs> and have, having done wow. that, I would be clear. I'd be clear-headed, clear-hearted, clear mind, and I would excel in my roles. And I yeah. noticed that that was a constant. <laughs> I noticed that that would happen again and again. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> is that uh, is that a, a piece of advice you want to give to young actors? Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
let it, let everything loose and out. Okay, in Urdu the word is dust. That's why we say number ten. <laughs> it's when just everything comes out, and you know, you're, nothing held is held back because it's all liquid. But uh, yeah, excuse right. me, I, I apologize for the graphic. <laughs> <laughs> right we're not talking about emotional release here ladies and gentlemen <laughs> aided by yeah the the tools the body has but yeah so acting yeah. is liberating the answer to the question is acting is the most liberating thing i know to do mm. and uh it oh oh the reason i mentioned uh, uh dune the original dune there is a line that is used in the new version of the book as well. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death. I will walk through mm-hmm. my fear and let it pass through me. And for me to be yeah. on stage in the 90s, it was embodying those lines. Fear is the little death. Fear is the mind killer. I will not let my fear overcome me. I wow. will walk through my fear. And that's what I teach my kids. It's what I teach my wife. It's what I teach my friends. You have to walk through your fear. You have to face your fear avoiding your fear. And I'm saying this and I'm going through another significant change right now. And I'm saying it as much for myself as any listener. We have to Mm. face our fears. Avoiding our fears makes us less than who we are. Walking through our fears, it's the power of letting go. Whatever you have, the power of letting go ceases to have any power over you. So definitely being on stage with a long and emotional monologue, like that's, that's not easy. What was that? What was that experience like for you? Is there anything that really stands out? It wasn't all me. It was part of the team. It was part of the hard work we all did, the training. And yeah, there was a bit of me in there. But uh, I think it all comes together. It all it, It's all like you're a chef. You know. <laughs> it's every little ingredient that makes the dish, right? It's that little yeah, bit of, you know, exactly. chili put in an omelet that, that brings that little. <laughs> I mean, it's people may not even realize. Mm. Little ingredients here and there go in to make a masterpiece. And it was a masterpiece, but I obviously Absolutely. can't claim the credit. I was a part, a cog in a big machine. And in that part of the play, I may have been a, a more significant cog or a more significant machine in the bigger machine. But it was a, I think it was mm. a genius, you know, it was, it's, it's an, an ingenious play. And with Carla's help uh, put together incredibly, the dramaturge is a very significant part of making a play successful. And Carla Blank is a she's a genius of her own. I mean, it was historic to be able to have Ishmael Reed, Carla Blank, Wajahat, the, the, the cast we had, even our our backup cast. They were amazing. They were wonderful. You know, I mean, they, they were a second cast. You know, so yeah, we did some mm. mixing and matching here and there. Uh, later on but uh, to this day i think it's because of what my uncle you know said to me it ranks as one of the highest accomplishments of my life oh wow so far Mm, nice yeah i treasure that experience and it's you know yeah I, i think every human being would benefit from at least one exposure to playing a role in a play or a skit or something where you get to be somebody other than yeah. yourself because we're doing it all the time anyway but unconsciously mm. so it's great to do yeah. it consciously mm-hmm. and to experience the liberation that comes from it wow thank you very much for sharing it's my pleasure i really can't say anything more than that it was a really powerful closing thank you so much for tuning in to the artistic foodies we had a great time being inspired by the creatives who made the domestic crusaders happen Before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to find us on Facebook and Instagram and stay tuned for more episodes as well as bonus content.
You can also have access to all our episodes at theartisticfoodies.com. This podcast has been brought to you by Halal Fest Incorporated and gathering all Muslim artists. Autobots roll out.